Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bitly and Murata Mornings. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. All five bench players out there right now to start the fourth quarter. Terrence Ross takes a drive to the free throw line. Pull-up jumper goes for Ross, who ended the first half on a high note, hitting his first three of the night. And now he gets his first jumper of the second half to go to start the fourth, 86-81. Yeah, I call him Tony Buckets, man. I call him Microwave. <laughs> when he get in and he, and he get going, him and T. Ross, man. Yeah, exactly. they, uh, they, playing, they playing great basketball right now. They, they playing loose. They playing confident. And, I mean, that's exactly what we need from our team right now. Terrence Ross bucket called by John Bloom and then campaign on the postgame interview with Bloomer and Tim Kempton last night after the Suns beat the Utah Jazz on the road last night. And again, you have to point at you know the responsible parties in this victory for the Phoenix Suns, and they got another enormous contribution from the bench last mm. night, which has not been consistent. Nope. Uh, at times has been brutal. Uh, this one was very promising because it came on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got three guys in double figures, a couple more guys with nine points, 57-25 in bench point differential last night. Yeah, B- big deal. A um, couple things about last night's game. Um, I thought Devin Booker was great sizing up the opponent and going, okay, that team doesn't have Colin Sexton, Sexton or Jordan Clarkson tonight. I'm going right at him. Yeah. And I, they had to play Talon Horton Tucker at yeah. point guard. Right. He, he's a disaster. He's a disaster. <laughs> so they had a they had a real bad backcourt and Devin Booker feasted on it early, set the tone like he has done quite frequently this season. Team had and you mentioned the bench was um a, a very stout performance. Uh ever since campaign hit those three free throws after being fouled on a three point shot in the fourth quarter, they did not give up a double digit lead, if my memory serves. Mm-hmm. So so they finished strong and Utah did not shoot the ball well. They're not necessarily a good basketball team. Uh, the Suns didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but they they seemed to make the ones they needed to make. That second quarter was yeah. was disgusting. Twenty one percent shooting in the, in the second quarter when yep. Utah switched to a zone and kind of really baffled. And the Suns were getting open look after open look, especially from the corner. And I think I heard. Uh, on the Utah broadcast last night, three of fourteen, the Suns went from corner threes. When they're that open, you got to make a bigger mm-hmm. percentage of that. That's so it, true. It wasn't perfect, but again, going back to the bench, it didn't have to be. And we talked about Cameron Payne when he was out, how important he would be down this stretch run to ease things for Chris Paul, and how again, look, the Suns are entrusting Cameron Payne to be a guard off the bench in a playoff situation for the third straight year. How will he repay pay them for that faith? Right now, he's playing really well. His last two games, he's shooting 56%. He's averaging 13 points and six assists. You will take that. But I think what's happening right now, Bick, with the bench is that it's not all about Cameron Payne. We had focused on him so much as being the guy who kind of jump starts that second unit. When you've got Terrence Ross cooking, and mm-hmm. he wasn't, again, perfect last night. He went through a, a horrible stretch in that second quarter. Mm-hmm. But TJ Warren is also coming around. TJ Warren in his last two games is a plus 49 in 23 minutes a game. Yep. He's doing it on both ends. Mm-hmm. So I think what could be happening, I'm not going to say it with certainty because I want to see it for a more consistent basis other than two or three games, is these guys at a really good time, if it is happening, are finding comfort within their roles, and that is going to be huge. T.J. Warren might be a guy who's carving out starting minutes. He's playing that well. Wow. Yeah, With I Kevin didn't, Durant back. I hadn't thought of that. That's he's, interesting. Because he's playing really wow. good defense, too. 
and he can rebound a little mm-hmm. bit, and he's and he's a tough guard because he's an unorthodox scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not willing to no, say that this is the way it's going to be, would, but right now it's looking good. Would you take that nice scoring twist. off the bench, though? Yeah, I mean, probably not. I think Josh Okogie's still going to be that guy, and yeah. you'll take what you... With Kevin Durant in the lineup, Josh Okogie hitting open jumpers becomes less important. Because he's That's not going to, he's not going to see. Yep. Well, he's going to see him still, but yeah. anything you get from him offensively is gravy, and you'll take the defense. Yeah, and you just take the defense. It's exactly right, and I think that that's the way I would play it if it were me. But but you're right. He's for a guy that looked so uncomfortable early on. It, it this is a real good sign. And whittling down this rotation is is not going to be a joke. I mean, we've seen Terrence Ross. He, he lights it up. When he's on, he can fill well, it up. He is not afraid to shoot the ball. <laughs> but he's got a lot of Jay Crowder in him. And that's the, that's the and, and his defense is very sus. I mean, took, what do shooters do? They shoot. They shoot. He they took shoot 14, shot. 14 shots in 15 minutes. Yes. That's what he does. That's I know. what he does. I know. About that rotation shrinking, Monty Williams talked about it last week, and he might already be doing an about-face on that subject. You never know. You know, in the playoffs... Sometimes the game will tell you what you need to do. Sometimes the players and how they're playing will tell you. I have an open mind about that that stuff. Yeah, we may shrink the rotation, but you know we may have to throw Dealey out there like we did at the end of the first half. He comes in cold. He hits a three, and then uh, Landry. They were, you know, they had bigger guys out there, and they were forcing some switches. And so we felt like Ish would be a better defender against those bigger guys and switches. And he comes in not knowing if he's going to play. And so as much as you want to shrink the rotation to nine and a half or whatever crazy thing I come up with, sometimes you may have to do what you have to do to get a win. And uh, that's what we did tonight. Yeah, and that's what happened in the last two games. Because Shamit got three fouls early against Philly. Warren got three fouls early last night in Utah. So you shift accordingly. I still think ideally Monty Williams would like to pare that down and by being able to do that, it means that those guys in the rotation are doing their jobs, and yeah. you're not always just trying to find somebody who's going to hit the open shot. Uh, listen, I'm 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 worried about that. I'm worried about because we all know Monty um, is a player's guy. We know that Monty loves his underdogs, and we know that Monty can be very loyal. And the last thing that I I want this team to do is get into a postseason series and realize, okay, we've we've jumbled this thing up. We're playing too many guys. Where do we go? I think they really need to have a firm idea on this and not be winging it once the playoffs get here. Because, again, in retrospect to me, one of the worst things that happened in last year's playoffs is when Jason Kidd coaxed Monty Williams into completely changing his rotation and, as a result, completely changing his basketball team. Yeah, that did happen. It did happen. And and I I don't want that to happen again. And and that does and the way that doesn't happen again is to make some hard decisions right now. Yeah. Uh Devin Booker, he definitely noticed the bench production last night. Yeah, it's really big. You know, it's a big confidence for everybody to you know, leave out of a game and it be damn near even and then them go up 10, 15 points. Um, you know, there's no words to put to us so we need other yeah, uh, the bench, again, 57 points, and uh, maybe more importantly at this point of the season is when you look at playing time uh, dispersal in the fourth quarter. Last night, Chris Paul and Devin Booker had to play three minutes and 20 seconds of the fourth quarter. In the game against Philly, Devin Booker played two minutes and 50 seconds of the fourth quarter. Chris Paul didn't get in the game. How about that? That's big. Yeah, that is big. That's, that's very that's, big. Yeah, that is, no, that, that's, that's successful strategy right there. 
Yes. That really, really is. Is when you can when you can hold that lead like they did in the fourth quarter and keep um, your aging starters on the bench. That's well done. Job well done. And you mentioned uh, Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a wrap around his left hand, the thumb, yeah. but also uh, a couple times in the last few games, grabbing at uh, his right hand. And this. was asked about it last night. Right hand is it good? Yes, fine. Yeah, we've heard that before, but again, this when I saw that last night. Now, I I did not notice that in, against Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I missed it, but you mentioned now this is two consecutive games with this. Um, I, my initial thought was, oh, of course, right on the right on the brink of KD's return. Yeah, so I'm again, I, I'm I'm going to pretend that that just isn't a thing. Yeah, I'm I, gonna, look, I, I waiting for Kevin Durant. And you watch with a lump in your throat. Mm-hmm. Like, just everybody get through this. Yeah. And let's see what this team looks right, like for it. more than three that's games it. together. That's it. This is it. Tomorrow during the player intros, Devin Booker high fives Kevin Durant. Oh, my hand! <laughs> it's broken! Uh, don't even say it! Yeah, don't. Jerry, what's the matter? You, you, you brought it up. Oh, it's me. That's right. It's Bickley, shut up! <laughs> Get a haircut, you freak! What are you doing with your hair? What are you doing? Yeah, they think you're the greasy beast now. That's right. (laughs) How about that? I'm looking at it right now. Ain't nothing greasy about that. Oh, I'm not a greasy guy. No. No. Uh, Last shot to participate in the madness. Text the word BUCKS to 620-620 and choose from the last four teams for your chance to win 250 bucks. That's BUCKS to 620-620. It's the Arizona Sports Bracket Bucks. Presented by Santan Ford and Schwartz Laser Ice Center. By the way, more Suns talk coming up at the bottom of the, or at the end of the hour. 745 will be joined by Charles Barkley. But coming up next, we'll get into some NFL hash marks and we'll answer the question, you get cell phone reservice in a darkness retreat. Uh, I don't think Brian Goodykunst believes that that's possible. We'll get into the latest with Aaron Rodgers next. Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. You know, as we got out of the off season or after the season, and we, we had a good conversation, um, and then you know we'll, we're going to have some follow up conversations. And our inability to reach him or for him to respond in any way, I think at that point, then we just kind of had to we had to I had to do my job and kind of reach out and understanding that a trade could be possible uh, and see who was interested. But that shopping was never really part of that. At what point did it shift to okay, we need to move on? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously it was a disappointing season, right? And you come out of the season, you have a lot of conversations not only with Aaron but with uh, the rest of the team coaches and everybody and as you go through that process you kind of get an idea of where you're going to move to you know as a team how you're going to go forward and I think I was really looking forward to the conversations with Aaron to see how he fit into that uh, those never transpired so I, you know there, there came a time where we kind of had to we had to make some you know decisions so we went through his representatives to try to kind of talk to him where we were going with our team and at that point um, you know they informed us they would like to, to be traded to the Jets. It's Brian Goodycoach, the uh, general manager of the Green Bay Packers, wanted to talk to Aaron Rodgers about the future. Those talks never transpired. Tried to reach him several times to no avail. To no avail. And that caused the shift in the thinking of the Green Bay Packers organization Mm -hmm. that it's time to move on from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Okay, well, yeah, that might be be something. Now, we know that Aaron Rodgers also claimed that there was a shift in something um, on the Packers' side once he came out of his little retreat. So I, I don't know what both sides are getting at here. Hi, I know we called you, Aaron. Go check your phone log. Yeah. How many bars did you have in How the many, darkness? Yeah. yeah. What'd you have in that cave? Can you hear Who's me now? Who's your provider? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. 
I mean, he was talking at that time. God knows he did every podcast on planet Earth uh, at that time. So he was talking well, to people. There was, well, there was definitely a shift in this story because it went from it went from last year when they finally ended that stupid dance they did. The pack. They both said this should be more than just a one um, one year thing. And then suddenly there were reports that the Packers were positively disgusted by Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. So what what caused that? What prompted that? Was it that? Was it just ghosting them? And Rodgers says that, you know, he was all excited to talk to the Packers. He went into the darkness retreat. Something happened while he was in there. And once he got out, they had moved on from him. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was positive. Positively disgusted by Aaron Rodgers, too, with all the uh, in-depth talk of the consistency of his bowel movements on those podcasts. Not to mention the, he was showing <laughs> oh. his feet that one time. <laughs> was that really a topic of conversation? I forgot about that. The bowel yes. movement yeah. thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, he man. held his feet up to the camera. Yeah. Okay. He was proving he didn't have anything wrong with his toes. Mm. <laughs> Thank mm. you for confirming. Oh, yeah. Uh, interesting development there. Maybe it's just a matter of time now until we get some sort of movement on an Aaron Rodgers to New York Jets sort of trade. Bell movement, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, the Lamar Jackson situation is out there as well. Um, he makes it public that he requested a trade in early March from the Ravens, um, and the Ravens I think yes, they knew about the trade request. John Harbaugh sat down at the breakfast yesterday and knew about it. He just didn't know he was going to be grilled about it as soon as he sat down That's in that right. chair. That's right. Because Lamar Jackson's people uh, put that out there at, at the moment he was sitting down. And Mike Garofolo, I thought, brought up a great point. Um, and Harbaugh said yesterday, look, I think we can still work things out. I don't know if that's the case. And Mike Garofolo from NFL Network talked about what kind of tone the timing of that tweet from Lamar Jackson and, and the, I, the, the fact that he made this public, what kind of tone it sets moving forward. Now, the question that we don't know, and Harbaugh was asked this and he gave a non-answer, we don't know if he's going to want to play on that tag. We don't know if he's going to show up for training camp. We don't know if he's going to show up week one. We've seen guys take this into the season before they wind up showing up to play on the franchise tag. And once you start going down this road, and, and this is why when I say you know, the trade request really doesn't change things from his ability to negotiate with other teams or at least to start to go down that road. What it does, though, is it sets an adversarial tone. This is antagonized. Right. Yes. Right. And now, is this a guy who sounds like he's going to want to show up for training camp? Who sounds like he wants to play on the one-year tag? Yeah, this is a big chess move by Lamar Jackson. And, and Mike Garofolo is right. There is an adversarial tone to this. He wants out in, in a bad mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it's, uh, again, w- what's weird about this is this thing has been, how many years now has this been a story? Three? Is this year three that, that Lamar Jackson has yeah, kind of rebuffed contract two, talks? Two and years, two but years? going into a third season, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've had plenty of time to reward this guy, to lock this guy up, and um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the rest of the league does. If there is some level of collusion here, and I'm bringing this up because Jim Ursay owner of the Indianapolis Colts, he, out of the blue, came out and said, I am not a fan of giving NFL players guaranteed contracts. So, and and the Colts are a team in which their fan base is saying, hey, you need a quarterback, go get this guy. The Colts are also on record saying, look, Lamar Jackson's very special. We're going to explore trading for him, absolutely. Right, but they're also making it clear we're not giving you 100% guarantee. So, and again, if this is what's holding up, if this is what it is that's holding up Lamar Jackson, then he he needs to know he's not going to find that. Now, now if he just wants out because the Ravens 
won't reward him, that's a different story. Yes, but it also could have ripple effects in Arizona leading up into the draft. Indeed. In late April, because Indianapolis is a team that has been identified by a lot of mockers as a team that could want to move up to number three to the Cardinals' spot to make sure they get a quarterback. So now, if they're in the... Lamar Jackson business, or at least in the business of exploring a trade there, how does that affect their thoughts on this year's crop of quarterbacks? Dan Orlovsky from ESPN uh, expanded on that. Number one, if you're Indianapolis, what is your view on the third or fourth quarterback in this draft class? You, you, Because Bryce and CJ are likely one, two, right? So what's your view? And also... If you like the third guy, you have to jump. You have to go to three with Arizona. Right. So what does it cost you to get up to number three? It's not just taking a quarterback at four because you might think the third guy's got a chance and the fourth guy doesn't. So you have to go and get up to three. So mm. what is that going to cost you? I think of Indy as well. You. These are real questions. One, are we all in running the style that we have seen Lamar run for the first five years of his NFL career? That, that allowed him to be MVP of the NFL because the hits do matter and they add up. Do we want to be that run-centric football team or do we go, we don't want to run that system, but we still believe Lamar is an MVP caliber player in a different system that we've never seen in the NFL him run. Mm. That, those are the questions that Indy has to ask before they get into that conversation. See, I still have a hard time grasping the first part of that. If Indianapolis falls in love with the third mm-hmm. best quarterback, whether it's Levis or Richardson, they have to move up to three. No, they don't. Not, not unless there's another team trying to beat them there. But then on the Cardinals' front, if they're mm-hmm. willing to move down past four, yes, you're getting extra draft picks and you're probably getting a b- bigger haul from a team that's trying to jump up multiple spots to mm-hmm. get to three. But then you're also risking, how much do you love Will Anderson? Because if you move down too far, you're not getting him. No, that is true. You can't move past four and get Will Anderson. There's no, no that way. is true. So, so if that is the way, so if if you want Will Anderson, you're, you're hoping you're you've got fingers and toes crossed mm-hmm. that Indianapolis is going to make that trade with you because because then you're going to get the guy you want. Plus, you're going to get free assets. Absolutely, which was the whole which is the whole point of this exercise. Yes. Another bad case scenario is what if Indianapolis likes two quarterbacks, and they say like we'll just take whoever. That's true. Is that four? That's true. They don't. They don't have to give up anything if if they like both Levis and Richardson. If if, that, well, if, if Stroud and, and uh, Young go one two. I, I don't know if you saw this, but this this kid from Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, who was having a monster season last year before he got hurt, he's starting to rise up a little bit. I saw him people though, rank him as the second or third best quarterback prospect. He is pretty good. He's very good. He gets minus points though because I think he's thirty eight years old. He yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next, the big stories of the day are repackaged in reboot form by Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Beautiful friends, welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Every single morning at 7.30, we take you through everything you need to know in Valley Sports and beyond. And I am doing so. Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hey. And Vince Murata. The night waiting goes to the Adam Sandler won what? the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor at the Lincoln Center. 
Who's Man. laughing now? Yeah. <laughs> Man, that was over the top. He's a national treasure. That was, I caught some of that. That <laughs> was over the top. Was that Adam Sandler's voice? No, that was Adina uh, Menzel. Oh, okay. I was like, doing, hold Doing the Opera Man uh, character. Oh, okay, okay. I, I understood none of what you played. All right. And Jared Carlin. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> All right. The Suns are on the rebound, folks. They had lost six of seven, but they've now won two in a row with their 20-point win over Philly over the weekend. And then last night, they beat the Jazz in Salt Lake City, 117-103. The bench is really the story of the Suns' win last night. Their bench outscored the Jazz's bench 57-25. to 13 points for Terrence Ross, 12 points for Campaign, and 11 points for Bismarck Biombo in support of Devin Booker with 24 points. He had 15 in the first quarter alone. And because the bench was able to take over late, uh, he got to take his foot off the gas a little bit. Here is Devin Booker sh- shouting out the bench after the game. That's really big. You know, it's a big confidence for everybody to, you know, leave out of a game and it be damn near even and then them go up 10, 15 points. Um, you know, there's no words to put to us, so we need other. It sounds like they're clearing all of the chairs out of the room as he's speaking. I don't know if that's actually the case, but sorry if that was tough to understand. He was complimentary of the bench. Campaign, part of that unit, said during a post-game interview uh, that uh, defense by the bench specifically is what has helped keep them out on the court. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, when we get stops, man, it kind of it kind of uh, helped, helped, helped the bench unit out for sure. And uh, that's, what, that's what we've been doing the past two games, man. We've been getting stops, and they've been keeping us on the floor. Uh, I've been trying to control the game, control the pace, and then, man, like I I said, defense, man, take care of everything, and we keep locking up, man, we'll keep getting more minutes. All right, I know it's been just a couple of games where we've seen improved bench play, but do you feel any growing confidence in some of the Suns' role players, especially with Kevin Durant expected to return tomorrow? I think Vinny laid it out there really good earlier as it, as it applies to T.J. Warren. I'll let him answer this. Yeah, I mean, he's he's doing it on both ends right now, and he's finally, you know, he wasn't getting a chance. Monty Williams, you know, alluded to that. He's carving out minutes, and, uh, you know, I want to see more than a two-game sample from the bench to feel great about right, it. But I right. do, and I know one game was in a starting role. Bismack Biombo has been fantastic oh, in the last couple of games. He's on a heater. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it, it's all trending well right now. Trending well. Cautiously optimistic. Is it fair to say that about the Suns bench right now and how they've been playing? Cautiously optimistic. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Optimistically cautious. Yeah, that, <laughs> okay. that too, Jay. That, yes. Yep, all, all of the above. All right. Uh, Kevin Durant, like I said reportedly going to be playing tomorrow. Shams Charania had that over the weekend. And before last night's game uh, in Utah, somebody asked Monty Williams, so so is Kevin Durant playing tomorrow? We'll see. You know, I, I got to get the information from our team. Um, he's working his tail off. I'm not quite sure because I've been so focused on the team that we have on the floor. If all the boxes are checked, then we will evaluate. But we have to wait and see. Um, he's been working his tail off. He's, he's done everything possible to get himself back as close as he can to game shape, but it's hard to know. So we just got to check all the boxes before we make any statements about his play. Okay, very non-committal mm-hmm. from Monty Williams. A lot of we'll see, we'll see. If Kevin Durant does not play tomorrow night as we expect that he is going to, what should Suns fans read into that? What does that mean? Uh, I think it, I would read into it just being overly cautious by Monty Williams. Um, again, I think it's going to come down to 
possibly Kevin Durant telling Monty Williams, I'm ready to play. Let's do this. Devin Booker's tone sounded a lot more matter-of-fact, like, okay, it's coming at a good time. Yeah. And I know DeAndre Ayton was kind of on that front, yeah. too, when he said the, the Slim Reaper's yeah. coming back. Yeah. But, yes. Um, Monty Williams, that, that was a very Monty Williams quote. He's noncommittal on a lot of things when it comes to injury, certainly. That's fair. Yeah, my, my initial take, and it could be way wrong, is I, I just think they really they do not want to hype this up at all, given what happened the last time. That, right. Yeah, I think you're right on the money, too. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I shudder to put this out into the universe, but if he does not play tomorrow and the debut is on Friday... Uh, it will ruin my weekend. Yes, <laughs> because I will cut my uh, my trip short to come back to be there for the oh, first game for right. Kevin Durant. You've got that show, so in Las please, Vegas. KD, play tomorrow. Do it for Vince. Jeez, okay, you guys mentioned Booker. Do it for the children. For <laughs> <laughs> the children, Vince's children. Okay, uh, make sure you stick around. By the way, our next segment, we will have Charles Barkley on with us here on Bigley Marauder Mornings. We will talk about the Suns, Kevin Durant officiating everything. Um, so make sure you stick around after the Rush Hour reboot. All right, let's move to the Arizona Cardinals. NFL owners meetings continue today here in the Valley. We heard from the AFC coaches yesterday, and uh, today we are hearing from the NFC coaches. Actually, pretty soon here. I've already seen Tyler Drake, who covers the Cardinals for ArizonaSports.com. He's already got his photo of the scrum awaiting Jonathan Gannon, the Cardinals' new head coach, who's supposed to speak in the next 10 10 minutes or so. Um, of course, we still don't have a resolution regarding DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, not a ton of interesting names coming in to the Valley through free agency. What do you guys think is the most pressing issue that you hope to hear Jonathan Gannon address this morning? What I hope to would be news on the Hopkins deal. Um, I don't think we're going to get anything. Yeah, I would just, I would like to, <clears throat> I would, I just, I, I'm not sure what I want him to say, but I'm going to be very curious in, in how he says it. Mm. Just level of comfort, you know what I mean? Just all of that stuff. I'm, yeah, in that setting, Yeah. every time we've heard from Jonathan Gannon, it's been in a very closed, closed-in Cardinals environment. Yep. This is a yep. this is an NFL environment. This is exactly. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's well said. Yeah. All right, let's get to the Coyotes and the Diamondbacks. The Yotes were officially eliminated from playoff contention over the weekend. We knew it was coming, but numerically, it finally happened. They are missing the postseason for the 10th time in 11 years. The Diamondbacks... Opening day is on Thursday. They also have missed the postseason in 10 of their last 11 seasons, amazingly. Uh, how do you think that the D-backs and the Coyotes separately are positioned to return to playoff contention? Where is each organization on that path to getting back to their respective postseasons? Yeah, I think that, I think that's it. I think they're both on paths. I think the, uh, the Coyotes are further behind the Diamondbacks, and I think the Diamondbacks have a chance to be a wildcard team this year. I think the Coyotes probably need, an, not next season, the season after that. Yep. Uh, D-backs can do it this year. Coyotes on the path that, that Bick set forth. Okay. In the yeah. next five years for the Coyotes? Oh, yeah. Okay. Better be. Yeah. Two years. <laughs> better, yeah. better be. Okay, right. two years, right. says D. Two years. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, guys. All rebooted. Rush Hour reboot every morning at uh, 730. As Sarah mentioned, we will be joined by the one and only Charles Barkley to talk some NBA next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. Yeah, it's always a pleasure when we get joined by the one and only Charles Barkley, NBA on TNT, and he joins us right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Chuck, good morning. Thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it. 
No problem, guys. How you guys doing? Doing so, legend. Uh, we get you a couple days after your your big sixty minutes interview airs. I don't think we've ever had a guest on our show before that's been on sixty minutes before, Charles. This is huge. <laughs> yeah, you know it was pretty cool. They've been following me around like the last six months, and uh, it was an honor and a privilege because I love that show. I haven't had a chance to see the piece yet, to be honest with you, because I was, you know, I'm stuck in March Madness right now. Yeah. So I haven't seen the piece yet. Hopefully I'll get to see it, uh, hopefully, in the next couple of days. But uh, it was an honor and a privilege. I love that show. I watch it religiously. Well, that's great. And I want to ask you about your role at CNN coming up. But let's jump into this, because I think KD did see that segment, Charles. Uh, he clapped back at you for calling him sensitive. Uh, what, what do you think is beyond why players are so sensitive in this day and age? And where is this, where is this whole thing going, you think? Well, I don't know where it's going. It's no big deal to me. Uh, he is sensitive. And it's weird. Uh, I've said it for three or four years now. I'm not sure why he reacted to it again. Uh, so I, I don't care where it goes. He's a great, great player. I think he's a good guy, too. Uh, but he is sensitive, and I'm not worried about it. I don't even think about it. Man, I'm even thinking about the NBA right now, right. Uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I've been in New York for two weeks, uh, heading to Houston. I haven't even watched the NBA game in three weeks because college, man, this is the greatest three weeks, you know, uh, of my my year. Uh, can't wait to get, and I tell people, you know, I've been in, blessed to play in the Olympics twice, and it's the greatest thing in the world to represent your country. But Saturday at the Final Four is the second best thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, but yeah, I haven't really been paying attention to the NBA. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy, man. I mean, it's uh, I, you know, I kind of obviously I'm got a couple more weeks before the playoffs start, but man, this is going to be probably the craziest NBA playoffs ever. I mean, if you ask me right now, I'm probably going to pick the Nuggets and the Bucks. But I'm going to put it, you know, as they say, I'm going to write it down in pencil. I'm not going to write it down in permanent. I'm not going to write it down in permanent ink. I'm not going to lie because, first first of all, you got zero idea who's going to be playing who. Right. Um, So it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to get started after I get past this weekend. Uh, But, man, uh, this is going to be it's going to be crazy. Yeah, the standing shift every day, and the, and the Suns are in the, in the thick of that. And again, knowing that you haven't focused in the last couple of weeks on the NBA, just generally speaking, Charles, when you look at, all right, Kevin Durant could be coming back tomorrow. They'll get about six games with him in and then hit the playoffs. Is that enough time in your mind for a player of of his ilk to, to make a big dent on a team that has – you know, not had him for, for most of the season. What do you think the Suns can do in the playoffs? You know, I, I, I don't know because I don't know the matchups. Yeah. See, that's the problem. It, uh, what, what seeding are they right now? They're four. So they're going to play five. And we have zero idea who five's going to be. Uh, so so I can't even have an honest opinion because I think last time I looked, wasn't the Clippers five? They are. But they're not going to beat the Suns without Paul George. Uh, so that's what's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then what's crazy out of that, I know the four are going to play one, so they will play the Nuggets. And, uh, I mean, so, man, 
I told you, I'm writing this in pencil. I would not pick them to beat. I wouldn't pick them to beat the Nuggets. Uh, to be honest with you, but like I say, I don't. And I, I don't know Kevin's situation. If he comes back healthy, I think a week because you know you're probably gonna have another week to get healthy. Mm-hmm. But like I say, they, they're gonna beat the Clippers without Paul George. Uh. And you know, you asked me about Kevin coming back. Even Paul probably not coming back to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Hey, listen, I'm pretty sure you don't want to come off your hospital bed and have to guard Kevin Durant. <laughs> that's not that, you know, that's not going to be conducive to Paul George's health. No, you know, yeah, he might like. Yeah, I'm not healthy yet. I don't want to come off my hospital bed and have to guard Kevin Durant. So, man, it's such a fluid situation. Um, uh, it's going to be fun, though, because um, I think that the, the play-in start the 11th, mm-hmm. and uh, the you know you know it's so fun watching all these fools on television. You know they're like the Lakers are dangerous. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> not <dangerous." laughs> you know, it's like well, they got LeBron back, and I said, yeah, and they lost to the Chicago Bulls, got blown out. Basically. <laughs> but yeah. but we are so they're like. No, the Lakers that they got they're gonna make a run. I'm like, no, they're not gonna make a run. Uh, so, it, and, but it's fun watching it because, like I say, I, I try to always be honest and fair. I got zero idea what's gonna happen in the playoffs. Like I say, if you ask me right now, I'm gonna say Denver's been the most consistent team all year in the East. I don't think anybody gonna beat Giannis four times in a week. I, I just, especially if they get anything out of Middleton, uh, he's. Uh, but, man, it's going to be fun watching. Sure is. I want to ask you about NBA officiating, Charles, because last year during the playoffs, uh, I saw the Suns kind of disintegrate. I think they I think they let the refs get in their heads way too much. I think they foul hunt and flop a little too much. Maybe not this year as much as last year. But Monty Williams has kind of gone off on him a few times in the last week or so. What is the balance a basketball team has to has to draw, especially when you're a jump-shooting team like the Suns, to, to not let the officiating get between your ears yeah you got to really be careful because they're human and when you say bad things about them publicly they remember it uh you know listen i think these guys are trying to do their job they're gonna miss calls everybody miss calls you know i saw money's uh statement like listen some games you're gonna get more free throws than others uh and in the particular game He's talking about. You have to also factor in uh, AD was being really, really aggressive, and his sons were shooting jumpers, like you said. So, I, 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 there's probably going to be a discrepancy. The 45 20, I think it was that game. Mm-hmm. But you have to ignore the officials, and because I think, you know, like you see now, I see people are getting hard on Luca because he whines on every single call. And I think that the officials have said, like, we're not giving this dude no calls because he's starting to whine. He's doing that little money thing. You know, they got egos, too. So, hey, you have to block it out. Mm-hmm. Like I think if you want to say something about the officiating, say it, get it over with. And now let's get back to playing basketball. Well said. Charles Barkley, our guest here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. Charles, I wanted to ask you about the, the MVP race. And there seems to be 
don't know if I want to call it controversy, but there seems to be a toxic side to the discussions this year as it pertains to Nikola Jokic maybe being a three-time MVP, or is it Joel Embiid, or is it Giannis again after a, a couple years after he won a back-to-back MVPs? But there also seems to be a, a racial component to a lot of people talking about how the voters break it down. What, what do you make of all of it and what the MVP discussion and argument has become? Yeah, it's really unfortunate and sad that you got a couple idiot fools and jackasses on TV <laughs> making it about race. You know, and they say stupid stuff like 80% of the voters are white uh, and they vote for white guys. And I says, well, that would really make sense since there's been only five white MVPs in the last 30 years. So that, that just put that, first of all, it's only like, I think the number's like, close to 58%, but that's neither here nor there. But there's only been five white MVPs in the last 30 years. So that's really a bogus and an asinine statement to make. Uh, And and I was back in the NBA when I heard, and I went off on it. And now, see, that's why we have to really be careful when we're talking about race, because people say stupid things when it involves race. And I, I hate this gotten to the point, listen, the Joker deserved MVP. Uh, the, he, uh, the last couple of years, he's in the conversation this year between him and Joel and Giannis. Let's get one thing straight. Giannis is the best player. And, you know, you hear these guys get on TV and say, well, you know, these, some of these guys have gotten screwed out of MVP because people wanted both other people. I says, no, they haven't. The MVP is a who played the best that season. Michael Jordan was the MVP, or was the best player in the NBA probably – Four years before he won an MVP, his team wasn't doing good. Same thing with Kobe Bryant. Nobody thinks Steve Nash was better than Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal, but those two years in Phoenix, they had the best record, and he had the best regular season. Mm-hmm. That's uh, and, 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 you know, Shaq hates that, and he gets mad. I say, dude, the Suns had the best record. Steve Nash was great. If you go back and look at all the MVPs for the last 30 years, I don't even know this number, but I guarantee you 25 out of those 30 years, it probably went to the, team, the player who had the best record. Mm-hmm. So it's a regular season award. It's not who's the best player, because in my opinion, Giannis is the best player. But I think Joker or Embiid are probably going to win the MVP. But I really appreciate your question because race is such a serious issue. If you don't have an honest, fair take on it, you should shut the hell up. Because to get on TV and say, white voters vote for white guys and there's only been five and so clearly if that was the case that'd probably be 20 to 25 white guys who won mvp instead of five right rick smith mm-hmm. would have been mvp <laughs> you know you know uh you know it, it just really pisses me off when because when you're on television you have to be fair and honest because people believe Stuff you say, yep. Even these clown, uh, these clowns, like on Fox News and things like that. People are like, well, it's got to be true. Uh, and you know, but I work with CNN. We'd have some fools on there too, <laughs> saying things that was stupid, right? Uh, and I said, so that the one thing I'm really proud of, I never got on television and said something just to get ratings. I, that don't mean I'm right all the time now, but I always try to say with spare and in my heart, yes. because people believe it. Even when you say stupid stuff, they believe it. So you have to be fair. And, uh, yeah, that really bothered me because 
uh, you, you don't interject race into stupid stuff. And saying a guy won MVP because he's white, and saying 80% of the writers are white and there's only 60, but also the stats don't bear that out. There's only been five white MVPs in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So to get on television and say all the white voters vote for white guys, I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure five out of 30 is not a good number. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take 30 seconds. Tell us about what you got going on with CNN, Charles. Nothing yet. Nothing. Okay. Uh, you know, so they, they came to me um, uh, probably six months ago and said, what I consider, I said, no, I don't want to do no. And it would only be one, a one day a week if I decide to do it. And I said, no, I don't want to be on TV more. I want to be on TV less. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to be on TV more. <laughs> and Because, and, 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 uh, you know, CNN is struggling. And I said, no, I don't want to be on TV. And they said, well, what about with Gail King? Because Gail is one of the people I really admire and respect. I like her a lot. You know, I've got to know her well over the years through my relationship with Oprah, and she's just cool. And I said, well, I would consider doing a show with Gail uh, one day a week, starting in the fall. And I said, well, let me and Gail spend some time together. Because, you know, first of all, Gail's got a real job. Uh She's on every morning. I said, what make y'all think she wants to do more? <laughs> and so how this thing came about, the new guy who took over at CNN was Gail's old boss over at CBS. And so me and Gail, we got together at the All-Star game. I said, Gail, I don't want to be on TV anymore. She said, me either. And I said, she said, I would, consi- I would consider it, though, because you know how much fun we have together. And we're going to spend some time together over the summer talking about it. But there's nothing imminent. Uh, like I say, it would only be one day a week if we do it. And it's really just going to be like whatever the hell's gotcha. going on in the world. Gotcha. We're not going to, you know, because, you know, <laughs> the funny thing about it, crazy stuff happens every single day. Um, and uh, I'd be remiss at, like, you know, our politicians, they disgust me so much. Uh, and it's a joke what's going on in this country now. These dudes spend all their time trying to ban books, and they should be banning assault weapons. My thoughts and prayers to those people in Nashville. But our politicians, they're sitting here worrying about books that were written 30, 40 years ago that got a bad word or something because everybody's quote-unquote woke now. And instead, they want to ban books instead of assault weapons. And it just drives me crazy. Mm. So it, just say if we were doing the talk show, that's probably what we would have been talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, so it's really just going to be about whatever is going on nice. in the world today. Uh, but like I say, nothing's set in stone, guys. Gotcha. gotcha. Thank you, Charles, brother. Appreciate you, you, you so much. Thank you for being so generous with your time with us, Charles. We always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, man, I, I love you guys. Thank you all for having me. Y'all be safe and take care of yourself. You Likewise, too. my man. Thanks, Chuck. Charles Barkley, NBA TN, TNT, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Uh, and uh, we'll be back with more, including Fire! the Big League Blast. We got to follow that pick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't schedule this right. right. Next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.